0: But in Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 33, what we're going to see today, I want to share this, this word with you. It's a word that you already know. It's a word that we use when, when two things just don't go together. When two things can't be mixed together and they can't be, they can't be combined and it just usually ends up bad, we say that they are incompatible y'all all know that word it means you can't mix them together they won't go together I guess the 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 phrase that we all know best I guess is that oil and water they, they don't mix you know and we used the example this morning about if you've ever been boating or fishing and the oil leaked out of your engine you know the oil is all gonna be on top of the water and it's not gonna mix in with the water if I if I brought a jar a mason jar in here full half full of water and filled it full of cooking oil I could shake it up the whole service and just be shaking while I was talking And when I set it down there and I left it, sooner or later, eventually, all that oil is going to separate from all that water. It will not mix together. What you're going to see today, what we're going to look at in this passage starting in verse 33, is Jesus is going to teach us that the gospel is incompatible with all the things that we think that we can do to make ourselves right with God. It's incompatible with all kind of works-based religion or all kind of things that you think you can do to earn standing before God or to earn salvation or to earn your place. It's incompatible with all of those things. You can't mix them together. You can't take a little bit of Jesus to help you where you failed. You and I have completely failed in every area of our life. We've sinned in every area and sin has infiltrated all areas of our life and it's all wretched before God. You and I need a new heart, a new life. We need to take this old one and have it thrown away by the spirit of God and him imbue us. Us with new life and a new heart that seeks to desire god the gospel is an all or nothing kind of thing it's not one of those things where you can say well i'll take a little bit of jesus and add him to what i got going on it doesn't work that way and if you try to work it that way you're going to destroy the truth of the gospel we've often heard it said many times that jesus plus blank plus anything is a destruction of the gospel it is jesus will be lord of all or he'll not be Lord at all. You've heard all those sayings before. Uh, if you add anything, anything to the gospel to try to earn your salvation, to earn your standing before God, to maintain your standing before God, you are destroying the foundation of that gospel. So that's what we're, That's kind of where we're going, what we're going to see today. It kind of reminds me often of Galatians is one of my favorite letters that Paul wrote, or that God wrote through Paul. Uh, And uh, that letter to the Galatians, he is chastising them over and over again. Uh, And really, there were some teachers coming into that Galatian church, and they were saying, you know, Jesus is good. You guys are doing great. Y'all have the right plan, the right program. You're just lacking one little thing. And their little thing was circumcision, which for all us guys is not a little thing at all. But they were adding that one little thing. They were saying, if you just add that one thing, then you got it. And Paul was telling them, no, you add that one little thing and you are preaching another gospel. He says it's another gospel that's really not another gospel. And so you can't add anything. In, in Luke chapter 5, the context of, of where we're at Uh, Jesus has just called Levi. Levi was a tax collector. He was hated. The people hated tax collectors. They they were seen as traitors, wicked men who had turned on their own people, were taking money from the Romans and extorting money from their own people. Nobody was more hated than a tax collector. And Jesus walks by this man named Levi in his little tax booth while he's taking up taxes. And uh, he says two words, probably the shortest sermon ever preached. He says, follow me. And it says that Levi left everything and he followed Jesus. Well, immediately, the first thing that Levi does is he throws a party. At his house and invites all his tax collector buddies all his sinner buddies to come and join into the party join into the feast and meet this Jesus and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand what's going on there he wants his sinner friends his tax collector buddies to meet this Jesus who he has met well immediately what happens is the Pharisees the religious guys they come along and they say now Jesus you're claiming to have the authority to forgive sin and he did forgive sin in an earlier passage in Luke He said, you're saying that you're the Messiah. You're you're God, the Son of God. You're the one that's come from God. What are you doing hanging around with all these sinners? What are you doing hanging around with all these, what we would call today, scumbags? You know, you're hanging out with all these scumbags in your house. You're not hanging with the religious folks. And Jesus answers and says, he says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance. That's verse 32 when he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call the sinners. Well, we're going to jump into this conversation that's going on. Jesus has just said, I didn't come to call the righteous, I come to call the sinners. And it says, and they said unto him, these same people that are talking, he says, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. He's saying, they're saying, why aren't you on our program?" Why aren't you doing, why don't your disciples do what we're doing? Now, before we we talk about what's actually being said here, let me tell you a few things just uh, about what they're talking about, about the kind of fasting they're talking about. In the Old Testament, there was really only one fast that was commanded. Every other fast, there's lots of fasts in the Bible, but every other fast was... Uh, something that people did out of the devotion of their heart. You know, uh, the the only fast that was commanded was on the Day of Atonement when the high priest went into the into the Holy of Holies and and all that was going on. All the other fasts that you see in the Old Testament were were people that would come. There are lots of different reasons. People would come with just a heart longing to seek God, longing to be closer to God. Maybe it was during times of repentance they would fast. The nation would fast. The people would fast. There were times when they were mourning and they would put sackcloth and ashes on their head and they would fast. And there's lots and lots of different reasons. But all of the fasts that you see in Scripture are done from the devotion of of their heart, just done out of a heart that's longing for God. Today, when you and I as believers, we fast, which is still a spiritual discipline today. Jesus practiced it and he taught us to practice it. When we practice it, we do it out of a heart of devotion for God. We do it seeking something, seeking after God, seeking to be closer to God. That's not what they were doing. By the time uh, the New Testament rolls around, Jesus comes and the Pharisees come, they were fasting not in order to seek God, not out of a heart of devotion to God like Christ did and like we do today. Uh, They were doing it to be seen by everybody. They were doing it to show how religious they were, to show how righteous they were. What they would do is they'd do it publicly. They would get up in the mornings that they were to fast And they would put on the shabbiest clothes they could find, the dirtiest old rags that they could find, and they would wipe ashes all over their face where they would look pale and all all that. And they would walk around moping all day long. Uh, So I'm fasting today, look how spiritual I am. And people would look at them and say, wow, they're suffering. They're suffering for their devotion for God. Look how righteous they are. Look how spiritual they are. And they would walk around basically fasting on certain days of the week, just so people would see them and see how righteous and religious and spiritual they were. Jesus condemned that kind of fasting. He told them, look, when you're fasting, you wash your face, man. You clean yourself up. You don't let everybody in the world know you're fasting. You don't walk around so people can praise you. You need to just fast between you and God. The same way with their prayers. He said, when you're praying... He said, you don't do what the Pharisees do and you stand on the, stand on the street corner and start praying real loud prayers and doing all these things so people will see you and people will hear you and say, wow, look how spiritual you are. He says, when you pray, you go into your closet and you pray out of a heart of devotion for God. So what is being talked about here is not whether or not we should fast or whether or not we should pray. I mean, of course we should fast and we should pray. The problem is they weren't doing it out of a heart for god they were doing it to earn something they were doing it so they could be seen publicly they were doing it ritually by this time there was a rule that had come into play that you had to fast every monday and every thursday if you want to be a godly person now if you want to be spiritual you want to seek after god you got to fast every monday and you got to fast every thursday and they thought this earned them some standing before God. Think about uh, Luke chapter 18, I think it is, where Jesus tells the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee in the the tabernacle or or in the uh, synagogue praying. He said, the one, the tax collector beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he says, the Pharisee stood up, looking down, and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. You know, he was earning his righteousness. I thank you that I'm not low like these people. Look how good I am. I'm fasting twice a week. So it wasn't a question of whether or not you should fast. The problem was they were they were trying to earn their righteousness before God. So that all the people could see how honorable and how righteous and spiritual they were. And they were trying to put God in their debt by what they were doing. You with me? Are y'all with me? Okay. So they were saying, look, John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees, they they fast when they're supposed to, but you're not on our program. It it makes me think, when you think of John's disciples, you you usually think of the good guys. You know, John the Baptist, his disciples... They're the good guys. You know, John came preaching a baptism of re- repentance and he was telling people to prepare your heart for the Messiah. The Messiah is coming and so you must repent of your sin and all these people came and they did repent and they were baptized by him in the Jordan. But what what's happened now is John the Baptist thought that Jesus, when he, when he came, he taught Jesus is the one. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then they said, you know, well, John, all these people are going to Jesus, and John said, well, that's where they're supposed to go. He said, I must decrease so that he can increase. And he, John said, there he is. And so there were a lot of people, though, that didn't get the message. Maybe they weren't there that day or whatever, and they didn't know that the Messiah had come, that there was this Messiah. So what do they do? These people that are really repentant, they're truly repentant, and they're wanting to do right, what do they do? They go find the most religious folks they can find, and they hook up with them. And they started following these disciples. It's interesting to me. Even in Acts chapter 19, which is gonna be 30 years down the road, there are still disciples of John who haven't heard that the Messiah has come. Paul runs into them in Acts chapter 19, and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they say, we didn't even know there was one, the disciples of John. And so what you see is you got two kinds of people here. you got one that's religious, and they're saying, you know what? We're doing all these things to earn our righteousness, and you need to be just like us. Look how spiritual we are. Look how righteous and holy we are. We do our fast the way we're supposed to. We stand on the corner and pray loud so everybody can hear us. And then you got this other group of people who really want to do right. They're trying to, they're trying to follow after God. They just they just don't know that Jesus has come and that he's here. And so they hook up with these religious folks, and these guys come to Jesus and they say, Why don't your disciples, why don't your disciples do like all of us do? Here you are claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the one who has come, and you're not with the program. Get the the picture is this: these guys are just sad. They're just sad mourning religious guys they're just miserable folks you know two or three times a week they they put these burdens on and they walk around with their mopey faces so you know how spiritual they are and they they're doing this and doing that to try to earn God's righteousness and to try to be right before God and to be closer to God or to at least make people think that they're closer to God they're playing this game and they're just mourning all the time and they're just doing all these things to be righteous and here's this Jesus partying with these sinners calling them to repentance they're rejoicing they're feasting and they're saying you know what that's not fair look at all that we're doing i mean we're doing the stuff that's supposed to be done you can't just come up here and say that you're righteous before god or that you can give forgiveness of sin just by saying you're forgiven like he did two sections earlier in this chapter you have to do what we do You have to suffer like we're suffering. You have to go through all these rituals and go through all these religious things just like we're doing. And Jesus answers them when they say, why don't don't your folks do like our folks? Why aren't you getting with the program? Jesus answers them in verse, uh, verse 34. He says, verse 34, yeah, there it is. He says, and he said to them, this is the answer Jesus gives. Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? He says, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then shall they fast in those days. He, he explains it by saying, by comparing himself to the bridegroom at a wedding. This is the first time in the book of Luke that he compares himself to a bridegroom that is there for the wedding. Now, understand, when you think of a wedding, what you're thinking of is, you know, the, the flowers and the, you got to stay here for an hour, listen to the weird music, and the, the girl with the white dress walks down the aisle, and you all go to the reception and you go home. But in the New Testament times, the Jewish wedding lasted for a week, and it, it was feasting and it was a Party it was joyful celebration the whole town came out and they ate together and they treated the groom and the bride like kings and queens for a week And it was just this big huge celebration and the rules the rabbinical rules said that you didn't have to do Any of those fasts or any of those things during the wedding celebration or during the feast times or doing those things because it would hamper the joy and so what Jesus is saying is look You're telling them to walk through and mourn and do all your rituals and do all your religious stuff when all of the things that that pointed to is standing right in front of them. All the things in the Old Testament that that you uh, cling to, the temple and the priests and the sacrifices, all of that, the fulfillment of all of that is standing right here in front of you. And you want to go back to the symbol. You wanna go back to doing the things that pointed to Christ when Christ is standing right before you. He said, how in the world do you think they can be mournful? How in the world do you think they can be sorrowful and walk around with ashes on their face and show everybody that they're, when the bridegroom is in the house, death has finally been done away with, hope is dawn, he's standing right here and there's no way they can be mournful. There's no way that they can not rejoice. He says, though, There's coming a time when the bridegroom is going to be taken away that they will mourn. They will fast. They will do these things that you're talking about. Now, of course, we know that's when he went to the cross. What happened? He goes to the cross to die for your sin, to make atonement, to bear the wrath of God for you. And what happens? The disciples, they were terrified. They locked themselves in a room. They were scared the Romans were going to come get them. They fasted, oh yeah. And they prayed and they didn't know what was happening. They didn't understand. But in three days, there was joy when Jesus rose from the grave. And he's alive forevermore. And so the question now that's coming to your mind, or should be coming to your mind, well, what about now? It's 2017 now. Do we, do we fast or do we feast? Well, the answer to that question is both. You see, today, Jesus, the bridegroom, is with you even more so than he was in the first century. I would rather live today in light of Pentecost, in light of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, than to be on the dusty roads of Jerusalem with Jesus next to me. Because now Jesus is not just next to you, he's in you if you've been born again. And he promises... He promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. There's never going to come a time where the Spirit of God is not going to be with you. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. I will never leave you or forsake you, he promises. And so, yeah, we are joyful. We celebrate. But there are also times in this life where we fast, where we mourn. Because you know what? We know that we're not perfected yet. We're not perfecting it. We still live in this flesh, and so there are times in the believer's life today where we want to seek after God and we want our longing for God. And there are times when we fast and we pray. That is a wonderful. You you cannot don't take me saying uh, that they were doing this religious ritual as to say that believers aren't supposed to fast and pray today. That's stupid. Jesus fasted and prayed. He taught his disciples to fast and pray. He teaches us to fast and pray. The problem was not that they were fasting and praying. The problem is they were doing it to be seen by everybody rather than doing it out of a heart of devotion. And so today we have both. We live in this in-between time where we're longing for this world, this fallen world, to be done away with so we can have the perfection of knowing Him perfectly and walking without sin and without battling the flesh anymore and not have to dealing with all the fallen creation and sin and, and death and parting and like the sorrow that this family in Lexington today is feeling. We're longing for the time. We won't have to deal with that anymore. We won't have to mess with any of that anymore. So there are times, that, there are times today in the life of a believer where we do fast where we do pray, where we do long for God to to show himself mighty in our lives. There are times when we fast and there are times that we seek after God by fasting and prayer. But underneath it all, underneath all, we understand that the fruit of the Spirit in us is peace and joy. We understand that we don't grieve as those that don't have hope. We have hope that he is with us like he promised that he would be he will not leave us and so that is the that's the what he's what he's saying to them they can't they can't mourn today they can't mourn today when the bridegroom is with them now jesus could have just left this right here he could have just said this is the answer to your questions there you go now move on but he wants us to understand why he wants us to understand why so he gives us an illustration Here, he's going to tell them, let me just go on and read the next two or three verses. In verse 36, he says, And he spoke also a parable unto them. He says, No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent. Means tear a piece off the new one. And the piece that was taken out of the new agreeth not with the old. Means it doesn't match. It doesn't match the old. He says, and no man putteth new wine in old bottles. The word bottles there is, it's not talking about like glass Coke bottles. It's talking about a leather skin bottle or bag like a, like a wine skin. He said, nobody puts it in old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and will be spilled and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles and both are preserved. Now, he gives two pictures of these bottles, these wine skins and a new and old garment. He's showing them, look. I didn't come, Jesus would say, I didn't come just to patch up your old stuff, to patch up your old life, to patch up your old religion. It would be like if I walked up here today and I showed you this brand new shirt that I just bought, you know, This shirt that was perfect, never been worn. It was beautiful. It was colorful. And then I also brought out this shabby old shirt that I've been wearing for three or four years. It walk around by itself most times. It got stains on the armpits and holes all in it everywhere. And I said, well, I've got these two shirts. What I'm thinking about doing now that I've just bought this new one is I'm thinking about taking this razor blade and just cutting off a bunch of strips on this new shirt and using it to patch up the holes in the old shirt. You would say... That has got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. I mean, what you're going to do, son, is you're going to ruin this brand new shirt so you can put some brand new strips of cloth on this old shirt that's going to look really stupid anyway. Can you imagine all faded and holes everywhere, Uh, underarm stains? I was going to say underwear stains. Underarm stains. Can you imagine? But yes, I've got brand new strips of cloth Uh, you're going to look ridiculous. You're going to look ridiculous. And so you understand that you are not, you, you can't take the new and rip it up and then place it on the old and think somehow you've done something. Jesus said, I didn't come bringing this new plan, this new covenant for you just to shred it up and add it to what you got going on in your old religion, to add it what you got to what you got going on in your old life. I came to replace all these things. I came to replace your works righteousness and your, your stuff that you're doing. I came to give you a new heart. He says, you know, the, the thing about the wineskins and the wine is when wine ferments, it expands. And so what would happen is they put it in new wine, in a new wineskin, and then when it expands, the leather, the, the animal skin would stretch. Now, if you put new wine in an old wineskin that's already stretched, what happens? When it expands... It busts, it busts. He says, I didn't come for you to take just a little Jesus here and a little Jesus there to patch up your life. He said, because if you do that, what you are doing is you're destroying the gospel. You're destroying the new garment that I've brought for you to wear. What you're doing is you're taking the robes of righteousness that I have purchased for you and you're ripping them to to shreds so you can take little pieces of it and patch it on your old garment and you're going to show up with this old garment with little white patches all over it before the the throne of the Father and you're going to say, look how beautiful I look. And it's going to be ridiculous. I did not come for you to patch up your life. I didn't come to bring you this. He is telling these Pharisees the same thing that he told Levi. Levi was told, this tax collector, wicked man, you leave everything and you come follow me. The same thing he told Levi is what he's telling these religious guys who thought they had it all going on and we're just good people and God loves us more than y'all and blah, blah, blah. He says, you need to leave all that and you need to come follow me. And when you come follow me, you and I know know what that means. You are given by God a new heart. And that new heart will desire. To follow after Christ it'll desire to keep his commands it'll desire to be obedient it will desire to seek God in prayer and to seek him by fasting and to seek him in his word he, your heart will desire all these things but it will not be something that you do to earn righteousness it will be something you do because you have received righteousness and you love <laughs> God because that love has been made manifest in your heart and so what he's saying to them, is the same thing he's saying to us today. The gospel is all, or it's nothing. You can't have a piece of it. You can't. You can't just go and say, you know what? I'm doing pretty good now. Come on, compared to Joe down the road, I hope none of y'all named Joe. Uh, compared to Joe down the road, I'm doing really good. I mean, I, I I go to church once every two or three months. I I you know I'm I'm praying whenever something bad happens. And so I'm you know, i doing what I need to do and I, I believe in God and I, I, I'm not as bad as the guy down the road. All I really need is a little touch up. I just need a little touch up, a little, a little touch up paint to fix the, the rough spots, a little thing to, to help the little areas where I'm hurt. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel and you're not offered patches of the new clothes in order to patch up your old garment. It's either all Or it's absolutely nothing because you and I don't have any works to offer God. You and I don't have anything that's going to merit our standing before God or anything that's going to earn us salvation or maintain our salvation. A lot of you maybe are thinking, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years. It's easy for believers to fall back into that mindset of thinking that I have to do good in order for God to love me when the reality is the Father loves me because the Son did good for me. And it's easy when, that, when you fall off in that pit, when you fall off into that trap, there goes your peace. There goes your joy. There goes your Christian life. I mean, there it goes. It's gone. And you, you'll wake up one day saying, what happened to me? I used to be so zealous. I used to be on fire for God. And now it just seems like, ugh, it's just a struggle. Just to, what happened? You've lost your focus on the gospel. You've started to patch up your old garment with the new that he's offered you when the reality is it is trusting in Christ and Christ alone, added, with nothing added to it, no work, no merit, no nothing. My righteousness is based on nothing less than Jesus Christ in his righteousness. That's probably not, that's not exactly how the song goes, but it's something like that. And so he says to them, He says, It's all or nothing. Today, you and I need to understand today, it's the, same, it's the same message today. The gospel is all or it's nothing. You can't have pieces of it. You can't have pieces to say, I just need to fix this. I need to fix that. I need to get this a little done. Jesus really tells us the, the real issue in the last verse, in verse 39. The last one we'll read. Over and again through this section, he has been talking about the new and the old. He's talked about the new being better and the new garment and the old garment people would rather have. And then here in verse 39, it looks like he just, he turns a corner. He turns a corner and he addresses the real issue with these people, with these Pharisees and these guys trying to, trying to be spiritual on their own, trying to work their way uh, to righteousness with God. The real issue is that they prefer their religion. They prefer working for their righteousness rather than the gospel. Look what it says in verse 39. It says, No man also having drunk old wine straightway desires new. For he says the old is better. It's almost like that, doesn't even, that sentence shouldn't even go on the end of what. Jesus has been talking and saying these parables, and then all of a sudden he says, Nobody wants the new. They like the old better. The old is enough. That's the issue of our heart. Why would someone understand what Christ is offering today is the same thing that he's offered for 2,000 years. He's offering salvation and perfection before God. He's offering his life for ours. He's offering his righteousness for us. Why would somebody not want that? Why would somebody prefer the old to work for yourself, which really you can't do anyway, but why would you prefer to try to be sort of good to work, for your righteousness rather than accepting this perfect righteousness that Jesus gives freely. I think the answer is our hearts and the reason why I say that is because it's so it's so much easier to live the way I want to live when I think I got a get out of jail free card in my pocket. In it's so much easier to do what I want to do if I think in my mind that this ritual that I can do at 10 o'clock on Monday is going to fix all the stuff that I did bad on Saturday. It's easier for me to live and just live for myself and live for my own... I'm not talking about being an axe murderer or being a you know, a, a robbing banks or something like that. I'm just talking about living independently of God, living for my own comfort, my own pleasure, my own self. It's easier to do that when I think, well, I can, get, I can balance out the good and the bad if I just go and do this thing Monday or Tuesday or whatever. If I go and do this ritual, if I go and I, I do this good work, it'll balance out. And most people think that if you, when you stand before God, really all you have to have is you have to have more good on the scale than bad. When the reality is, the Bible says that you've never done anything good, not in and of your own flesh. Everything that's good that you've ever done, good, I'm saying good in the eyes of God, has come from the grace of God inside of you and the spirit of God working out in you. And so it's so much easier, isn't it? It's so much easier to think that, you know, I, write it, I got my phone, I'm going to write it in on my schedule. Tuesday at 10 o'clock, I'm going to do this thing, which is going to make me a little more righteous before God. Okay, good. Now I can go do whatever I want because that's going to balance everything out. As long as I do my good things, the good things I'm supposed to do. Isn't that so much easier? It's so much easier. Men, when I say men, I mean mankind. We want the old. We want to go with the religious thing. We want to work for it. We we don't want to say that I'm not able. We don't want to say that I'm not worthy. We don't want to say that I'm not good and I don't have anything on my account but sin. We want to think that I'm able to do something that's going to that's going to perk God's eye or going to earn me some merit before him. We don't want to say that we are totally without anything but sin and need a Savior to come and save us from all of this death and sin, this body of death that we're in. We don't want to do that. We want to keep the old. We cling to it like it's gold or silver or like it's something that we have to have. We cling to the old. I want to keep my old life. You know the Jesus thing if if you're if you're serious about that being the the thing, the way the truth and the life and the only joy I can have, the only be, okay, I'll give it a try. Let me patch some in over here. Let me patch some in over there and see if it works. See if That's not how the gospel works. Jesus came and told us the gospel is incompatible with all of that stuff, with all of our works righteousness, with all of the religion that we think is making us righteous before God. It's incompatible. The gospel is either all or nothing. Today, as we we close, today you have a choice. You need to understand what Christ is saying. He's saying you either have to give your life totally to him. You have to trust him for your salvation completely and totally. Or you have to turn around and walk away. There's no middle ground. There's no, there's no, well, uh, I mean, I'm going to give him Monday and Wednesday and Friday and the other days. No, you've given him nothing. You've received nothing it's either all now i'm not saying that you don't ever sin again we're going to be growing in christ from the day from now to the day we die but what i'm talking about is you are trusting in christ alone Understanding that you have absolutely no righteousness. You have no no capital to make a deal with. You uh, You have no goodness that you can push over to the judge's bench and say, here, look at this. I mean, this has got to count for something. You stand before the judgment bar of the Father knowing that I have absolutely nothing that I can offer you. The only thing that I have on my account is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's the only thing that I desire to have. Today, today in 2017, the choice is the same for you as it was for Levi on that road in that booth where Jesus said, hey, follow me. Levi left all and he followed. The choice is the same for you that for these Pharisees that were questioning Jesus. He says, they can't be like you. They can't patch up the old by tearing up the new, destroying the new to try to think they can patch it up. It's either all or it's nothing. The rich young ruler, as we close, the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was all about it. He was all about it. I want eternal life. He came to Jesus. Ask the right question. What what do I got to do to eternal life? Jesus, seeing that the man was an idolater, seeing that he was in love with his money and his possessions, he told him, he says, well, keep the commands, this command, that command. And the rich young ruler said, well, I've done all those. Yeah, yeah, right. He said, okay, well, you lack one thing. Seeing that he was an idolater, seeing that he loved money and he loved self, he says, sell everything you got and then come follow me. And it says the man walked away sad. Because he had great possessions. And I want you to see, nowhere in that text will you find Jesus running after him, pulling on his coattail, saying, wait, 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 wait. Let me, let, me let me change the program, and maybe we can work something out. Great. He offers you perfect salvation. He's called you before. And if you, are, if you know that you don't know Christ today, you, under, you understand that he is calling you again. He's calling you to give your life to him because the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. And in it, if you're a believer and you've been a believer, understand that the gospel is the hub around which all of your life turns. And when you lose focus on that gospel as your righteousness, as your peace, as your joy, when you lose focus on that, that's where your Christian life goes astray and you wake up wondering what happened to me. This message from Christ affects everything. It affects the foundation of everything that we are as believers. And if you today don't know Christ, it is, it is determinative of where you will spend eternity. I mean, that's scary. That you will spend eternity somewhere. And those who have trusted Christ have the perfection of Christ. When they stand before God, stand before the Father at the judgment, he will say, that one's mine. My righteousness is on them. The Father will look at you and say, perfection. Not because I'm so perfect. Not because you did perfectly. Because Jesus was perfect in your place. Today, you, you examine yourself whether you be the faith. And believer, if you're, if you're a believer, you... You focus your efforts on the gospel. You focus on your perfection, your union with Christ. And you live in that. You walk in that. And you never deviate from that because that's where your power comes from. That's where your joy comes from. It comes from Christ living in me. It comes from the gospel making me perfect before the Father. And if you've never trusted Christ, understand your time is running out. Your time is running out. No one can say, you can't promise me that you'll even be back tonight. The opportunity is here for you to come to know Christ. Let's bow together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word.